You mentioned last time, you know, you watch those cold case file shows, you know, and you're like, why do you stick it out when it's like 11.37? You're like, I'm on my third episode and I know I should go to bed. Like, why, why am I doing this to myself? It's because you can't rest until you see justice, right? And those of us who don't maybe feel like you have lots of direct enemies, we have spiritual enemies, but there aren't like necessarily people oppressing you every day. It's sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. But when you're being oppressed and abused or afflicted by others constantly, you cry out, where is justice? How long, O Lord? You know? And so will God really bring justice and punish evil? And then other questions we ask on a more regular basis, does he really forgive me? You know, sometimes pastors ask that question too, you know? Not that we sin anymore since we've become pastors, but just theoretically, we're like, does he really forgive me for the people? Um, right? And then is he really changing me? You know, sometimes you're like, man, I, I, I feel like I love God. This is awesome. You know, I feel like I love other people. I, I'm enjoying telling other people about Jesus or whatever. And then sometimes you're like, again, oh Lord, help me. Can, can anyone relate to that? Is he really changing me? And if, if, my, if my record is like this, how can I trust that things could get different, maybe at least somewhat eventually, right? Is he really changing me? And then how, how can the human heart be changed to truly love God and love more like God? And so in Jeremiah, as I mentioned, we see the need for the new covenant and the promise of the new covenant to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The new covenant is truly amazing, and the inadequacy of the old covenant opens our eyes to that. And so one of the things that I've learned that I think is very important is that we read the old covenant in light of the new covenant. Because God gave the Old Covenant in light of the coming New Covenant. The Old Covenant, the whole sacrificial system and the law and all of that was pointing ahead to Jesus. From the moment it was given, it was pointing to Jesus in, in all of its administrations. All right. And so the first I want us to look at, again, this is kind of why, and we'll get into the author and date and all that in a minute, but I want us to see from the very beginning of our class this morning, from Jeremiah, this, this why, this need for the new covenant. So the first part of our need is powerful sin. Would someone look up Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, verses 12 to 13, and read it loudly? <clears throat> Okay, good. Thank you. And he says earlier, can a nation change its gods, but my people have forsaken me. What are the two evils that God mentions there? I love this, how this reveals his heart. What, what are the two evils that they've done based on what, what Ron just read? Well, What's that? God. Okay, they've forsaken God. And then they kind of tried to make their own thing. Right. These broken cisterns that why do you think God mentions that hold no water? What's that about? They're useless. They're useless. Why is that an evil to God? Because he made us to hold water. Yeah, he made us to hold water, right? What? Yeah, idolatry. But what does it tell you about God's heart that he that he gets that he's upset that our broke that our idols don't hold water. What does that show you about God's heart for you? We're his masterpiece. We're his masterpiece, right? Okay. What about? Okay. Okay, right? Okay, that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at is that God not only cares that we've forsaken him, but if I can put it in a certain way, 
our other lovers can't satisfy. Not only have we whored around on God, and he uses that language, so I'm not just saying that because it's fun. Uh, we, we have got, gotten other lovers that can hold no water, that, that, that can't satisfy. Our idols cannot give us the life that God alone can give us. And so not only is he grieved as a rejected husband on one angle and a, an abandoned father on the other, He's grieved about what it's like for us when we, when we get with idols. Isn't that beautiful about the heart of God? He's like, these are two evils. He could have just said one evil. They forsook me. That's, but he loves us, and he wants us to have life in him. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, right? All right, Jeremiah 9, 1 to 5. Who will read that for us? It's okay. We all have that Bible app. My head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and truth has and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me. Thank you. So as you listen to this, who is, who is speaking verse 1? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Who's saying that? Jeremiah? You think it's Jeremiah? Look at, um, I tricked you, sorry. Verse 3, declares the Lord. That's the Lord talking. Oh, that my eyes were eyes of tears. Well, he's going to become flesh and weep those very tears, as we're going to read later, over the city of Jerusalem. Once again, when he brings judgment on Jerusalem. So I hope you see that there's this very dramatic, um, not just academic uh, expression of the power of sin in the relationship of the believer, or at least the official covenant people of God, with the Lord. And then powerful judgment. Who will read Jeremiah 21, 6 through 7? Powerful judgment. Anyone? Bueller? Thanks. Powerful sin in the face of the righteous judge of all the earth requires powerful judgment, right? God has been patiently pleading with his people, warning them, warning them over and over. If you read all of Jeremiah, you'll see parts of the book where God's like, yes, I'm warning you about all this judgment, but just remember, even if I'm promising all this judgment and you happen to repent at the last minute, I'm not going to judge you. Like, you see his heart of like, all right, just like two and a half, two and three-fourths, <laughs> two and, two and nine-tenths. You know, he's like, his heart of mercy is displayed here. But he's also not a wuss, and he's not a pushover, and he has to punish evil. And so we see that that there's this need for the new covenant because our, our sin is so powerful and our sin deserves judgment and God who's good has to punish evil or he himself would be evil. So God keeps his promises to judge and punish evil, even the evil of the religious. 
Keep in mind, he's going to pronounce judgment on Babylon and everything too. But here is his quote-unquote baptized people, you know, under the old covenant, his circumcised people of Israel. He's pronouncing judgment on them. And so, you know, he shows no respecter of persons, the Bible talks about. And then he sincerely pleads with them to repent, but in the song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, he had already predicted that they wouldn't. You can look in Deuteronomy 29, 30, 31, 32 on your own. But way, way back during the Exodus, you know, a long, long time before this, you know, Moses was around 1200. This is around 500 B.C. So, you know, just a little bit ahead of time, God talked about his people rebelling against him and then him kicking them out of the land and sending them under oppressors. And then if they repent, that will bring them back in the land. It's like, why would he say that? That was the national anthem of Israel, is the Song of Moses. Every kid had to memorize the Song of Moses. It was sort of like, and when we turn away from God and he kicks us into another land, you know, these things should have been on their hearts and minds as God was warning them about judgment. And so in our uh, year through the Bible, chronological Bible thing, um, we're in Exodus, and this theme of Warning the Pharaoh of judgment, warning the Pharaoh of judgment, warning the Pharaoh of judgment, over and over, plague after plague after plague. You know, Israel had become Egypt. Jerusalem had become Egypt and Sodom, Revelation tells us. And so we're in this new spot here. Um, He was now doing the same to his people in Jerusalem. All right. And then you got the promise of the new covenant. We won't look up verses for this because we'll do that in a little bit. But you've got this promise of the covenant, and the, the contained in the promise first is powerful propitiation. The book of propitiation is the wrath bearer, the one who absorbs the punishment. If God's wrath was a bullet, Jesus took the bullet for it. If it was an electric chair, Jesus took the electric chair. But it's actually hell, so Jesus took the equivalent of hell for us at the cross, and he cried out, it is finished, right? The book of Hebrews assigns such weight and value to this promise of the new covenant connected with the cross that the writer to the Hebrews says, when the new covenant promise says, and their sins and and their transgressions I will remember no more, that absolutely implies full atoning sacrifice. He says, else the sacrifices would have been repeated after that. And so there's this incredible weight put on the cross that gives us the lightheartedness of being experiencing the new covenant. And then the powerful person, right? We'll look at this more later. The God who keeps his promises to judge will keep his promise of the new covenant. So kind of like um, Advent, first Advent, second Advent, you know, it's like it's Christmas. Why do we look at these old prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and then looking at Jesus' birth? Because we see that God fulfilled his promise to send Jesus the first time. So that stirs up our faith and gives us confidence that he will send Jesus the second time to to make all things new, right? We we constantly need renewal of faith, don't we? Does that make sense? And so this sounds strange, but when you see God wiping out Jerusalem in the Bible, let that remind you that just as faithfully as as he is to keep his promise to judge, so he keeps his promise to forgive. And, to, and have, has atoned for our sins. All right, authorship and date. See, this is a Chagall painting. I uh, looked up, you know, I do a Google image search. Chagall, who is Jewish, but also like was kind of fascinated with Jesus and the cross in some of his artwork, so you never know what happened to him. Um, he did these famous stained glass windows and, and the rock something church. Anyway, I looked it up. But if you do a Google image on on Mark Chagall and then Jeremiah, there's a, there's a number of pictures. But obviously I run out toward the end, so it gets more texty, but you'll see. All right, so Jeremiah and Baruch, his scribe, may have been writing the book throughout his ministry, but he completed the book shortly after 586 B.C., having been taken captive to Egypt. Okay, who is Jeremiah? His background. Jeremiah was born around 645 B.C. and raised in Anathoth, a small town of priests a few miles northeast of Jerusalem. So he, he grew up around Jerusalem, but notice he didn't live like in the best neighborhood. You know what I mean? He lived like 
west of this avenue. You know what I mean? He wasn't right in Jerusalem where everything's happening. He was born just outside the camp, as it were, right? All right. He was called to be a prophet around 627 B.C. as a youth, depend, which means he was dependent on parental support. Some of you may have 33-year-old youths still living with you. I don't know, right? So the, the definition is, are you still dependent on parental support? You know, he could have been like 45 playing Xbox and been called to be a prophet. So, um, all right. And then he became a priest, but this, I found this very interesting. Uh, as I mentioned, he lived outside of Jerusalem, and his priesthood was from the lineage of Abiathar, who was deposed by Solomon. So you have like... Solomon said, you can't be priest anymore. Now I'm going to take, I think it was Zadok, and he's going to be the priest or whatever. He switched the priestly line within the Levitical bigger line. And so what's the point of that? He was an outsider to temple politics and was not in a favorable position to criticize the temple leadership. He was on the outside. He was not part of the inner circle. He didn't get invited to all those parties, right? Um, when he saw someone's pictures from a party on Facebook, he's like, hey, they didn't invite me. You know, he's part of the outside uh, part of the priesthood. He's like, yeah, he's kind of, a, kind, of part, he's kind of a priest. You know. All right. His suffering and perseverance, his messages of repentance delivered at the temple were not well received. We're not going to read these passages, but you can, you can look them up on your own. Um, but you can, when you look at the book, you'll see that they weren't like, thank you, Jeremiah, for correcting us and showing us the wickedness of our ways. We'll repent, so God won't judge Jerusalem. That, that's not exactly how it played out. Um, his hometown plotted against him. Sound familiar? Right? When they tried to thrust Jesus off, the, off of a cliff in Nazareth after he was like, you know, after he said stuff they didn't like. Um, and he endured much persecution in the pursuit of his ministry. They threw him basically in a sewage pit, I think, in the mire. They're like, yeah, you know, just stuff that you would want to be in your job description. So. All right, and then at God's command, he never married. You know, being thankfully married, that's a thing, you know. Um, yes, Jesus gets his bride, the church, but, you know, walking around in his earthly ministry without sin, but being tempted in all points as we are, just the fact that he never got to get married, you know, that can be hard. And then he apparently had only two converts, Baruch, his scribe, and then Ebed-Melech, an Ethiopian eunuch who served the king. These are the only two mentioned in the entire book who respond favorably to Jeremiah's preaching, you know. I, it makes me really appreciate you guys, you know. <laughs> now, I'm going to preach today, so please pray for me. Even if you don't, like, even if you're getting bored, just smile every once in a while. Just that'll, that'll help me. All right, uh, two people. Can you imagine that? Like, terrible sermon, terrible sermon, terrible sermon, terrible sermon. That was pretty good. You know, terrible sermon, terrible sermon. You know, Monday mornings were hard for Jeremiah. All right. So the structure. Um, you've got the call of the prophet, oracles chiefly of judgment on Judah, the end of the Davidic dynasty. Um, for, you know, temporarily for there, salvation only through exile. And then the necessity of Babylonian dominance over the nations. Again, we're going to see in the theological themes, God wields the nations, right? He, if he goes out into his garage, all the nations are just tools for him. He's like, uh, you know, orbital sander, you know, portable drill, Babylon, Assyria. He wields the nations sovereignly and blamelessly. They do horrible things under his wielding, but they're responsible, not him. And that's a great mystery. But he wields the nations. And then promises of restoration. That's where you have that new covenant promise in the midst of this book. And then Jerusalem's last days, the aftermath of Jerusalem's fall, oracles of judgment against the nations, and then the appendix, or the last part, is the description of the fall of Jerusalem itself. All right, theological themes in Jeremiah. I already said that one. Notice another Chagall painting, Jeremiah, with a scroll in his hand. Or it's a baby. I think it's a scroll. Uh, God's godness. He wields the nations, right? God's covenant marriage with Israel. Not going to read all of it, but if you're like, hey, I'm going to take a deep dive in Jeremiah, 
you will hear like great blues songs from the heart of God in the book of Jeremiah. My baby left me, you know, and he, she cheated on me over and over and over again. There's a Led Zeppelin song that talks about that kind of stuff that I like. Black Dog. Um, and, and then he's like at the end, you know, he just wants a woman he can trust. You know, um, God's covenant marriage with Israel. Human sinfulness and the need for repentance. God's warning of judgment and faithfulness to judge. And then God's new covenant. All right. So before we read all the stuff about how Jesus fulfills, uh, how this points to Jesus, I know we kind of went through that. What's on your mind as you hear these things? As you hear about, um, what, what, what's on your mind based on what you heard so far? What are you thinking about? Go ahead. I kind of wonder how this book made it into the scriptures. Okay, why? Because of his background, like, you know, he's basically an outsider. His message wasn't really seen well received. How did it get into uh, sacred scriptures? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, obviously, we know the ultimate answer, but yeah, I see. I know, like, with it, humanly speaking, how did it survive, right? Well, I think that's always what gives us the confidence of the truth of Scripture is there's so much <coughs> that you never include in your sacred writings. Yeah, you know, it doesn't you know, make it on your fridge. Your religion, and yet, God puts all of that in, and we see ourselves in it. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you don't, there's verses you wouldn't put on your fridge, you know? If you put all your Bible fridge magnets together, it'd be a really small Bible, right? What, what else? What else is on your mind? What are you thinking about? When is judgment coming for us? Hmm, interesting. When is judgment coming for us? Yeah. Throughout world history, empires rise and fall. Yeah. Go ahead, Cindy. The other side of the song is God's mercy. Is that something that we can just continue to, you know, Lord, count down to your feet and say, you know, now I go one, two, three, mm -hmm. by sending us help. Mm. That's good. What else? What else are you thinking about? What's What's the Lord kind of stirring God, up in you? God, it, it teaches us about God because he will not tolerate sin. That's right. Mm -hmm. he That's right. He has to perfectly and fully hate sin. That's a and, great point. And it just, it can't be any other way. And he will have to deal with that. And the beauty of, the, of, of our salvation is that God gave himself mm. to save us from himself. Amen. You know, he was the only one who could, who could take care of that. That's right. It just passes our ability to really believe mm. that that. Yeah. That's right. I, I got trained in EE as a brand new Christian back in 1994. Um, and they do a good job talking about just what you said, that God is just and his justice demands punishment. And, and when, whenever I get to share the gospel with people, one of the things I try to do is not just go, hey, Jesus died for our sins. But to kind of walk them through the dilemma, God's dilemma of I, I hate evil and I have to punish evil, but I love people and I want to adopt these people as my children. They deserve hell. I have to punish them with what they deserve. How can I be good and forgive them? You know, how can God be good and forgive evil people if he's the judge? How can he fully punish sin and we're not wiped out in hell? Like, how does he do that? I think presenting them with that dilemma, how can God be good and forgive people and let them kind of sit in that for a minute? I found that to be really helpful. All right. What else? Someone else had a hand up. Yeah, read. Mm. God is being made to walk on 
Mm. What can you just elaborate? What was your religion or what was your I'm faith? Also Buddha. Okay, so you were a pra- you were a Buddhist before you came. Idol, Marxist, like that, that you make your own and yeah. Okay. That's beautiful. And, and we, we may not have like statues that we had to throw away, but I definitely had some stuff I had to throw away when I became a Christian too, you know what I mean? So you're not, you're not alone in the idolatry, obviously, um, before. And we struggle with that even now, right? What else? Someone else had a question? We stay up to watch the end where there's justice. Yeah. Right. We all want justice to mm. be done. And there isn't justice apart from judgment and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these things have to be at our soul. He's written eternity on the hearts of men, you know, and, and we know that there needs to be this. Mm. And so I think that is something we don't always think of in talking about Christ. But mm-hmm. it is a very, that drive to watch the ending yeah. so we see the justice, I think, is something a lot of people in our culture can. It's mm, a good point. Also, along those lines, like when you are a sinner or when you're unsaved, and then when you become saved, you're like, you struggle with that line of like, oh my gosh, how can you know? You, but you're like, you figure out how to live in this grace and mercy that mm-hmm. you know yeah. that it's really. Yeah, it's, it seems to. Are you saying like to really believe that He forgives you? Is that what you mean? Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Yeah. I love Hebrews. R.C. Sproul said if he was stuck on an island with one book of the Bible, it would be Hebrews. I was like, huh. I was thinking like Ephesians. Come on, man. But when you read the book of Hebrews, it's like, he's like, guys, pay attention. This is deep stuff, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. He's like, high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, all this stuff. He's like, y'all, come on. Wake up. Get, you know, get your appetite going. This is a big deal. And just that. I love uh, Hebrews 10, 2, basically that um, for if those sacrifices had actually atoned for sin, you know, then they wouldn't have any more consciousness of sins. Now, that doesn't mean they wouldn't know that they still sin, but this whatever this consciousness of sins, this weight of unatoned for sins, like, yeah, you got the lamb's blood and the goat's blood, but they point ahead, right? It hadn't actually happened yet. That's what we're going to get to right now. That's my segue accidentally into the Jesus part, right? So you got a, a priest from another line. Now, yes, uh, again, Jeremiah was still of the Levitical line broadly, but, but he was of a different line within that. But in that promise um, that I, I, I will, um, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek that God prophesied about the Messiah, um, that means that he would not be of the tribe of Levi. The book of Hebrews goes into that. I'm not going to read all of that. But that's one of the emphases of the book of Hebrews. Um, I'm not going to read that whole section from, from Hebrews. But you can look that up. It makes a big deal about it. So he's a priest from another line, just like Jeremiah was, but even more so. And then he was a prophet who wept over and predicted judgment upon Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, when God is going to destroy his temple, there's a lot of ink spilled over that beforehand, right? God, God is not like, hey, I'm going to judge you. Wham. When you look throughout the Old Testament, there's so much warning and words about the coming destruction of the temple, right? And not only did Jeremiah do that, but lo and behold, the temple needed to be destroyed again during the Roman Empire time. Same deal, same stuff, right? But this was in fulfillment of the temporariness of the Old Covenant because now that the Messiah had come, there was to be no temple anymore, right? 
a remaining temple continued over time would continue to be a no it isn't to Jesus's it is finished. That's what the entire continued Jewish religion uh, when the Christians were being persecuted by, by, by the Jewish people uh, early on in the, in the Roman Empire in the early life of the church they, it's, they were saying no it isn't to Jesus's it is finished. Um, without getting into it but just as a if you want to talk about it sometime I think that the book of Revelation, while obviously not having been fully fulfilled because Jesus hasn't come back yet, I think a lot of it has to do with that coming judgment on Jerusalem that Jesus was talking about in the Gospels. Not all of it, obviously, but that some of the stuff that we were like, oh, that's going to be about tanks and helicopters. It's, a lot of this has to do with the coming destruction of Jerusalem, just like in the Old Testament, so much ink was spilled over that because it's a vindication of Jesus's, it is finished. So he wept over and predicted judgment on Jerusalem. Um, does someone want to read Jeremiah 4, 14? And someone else get ready to read Luke 13, 34. And then I'll read Luke 19, 41 to 44. Okay, good. This warning, you know, repent, repent, Jerusalem. And he was... That he was crying out, you know. All right, Luke 13, 34. Who's got it? You, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again. Thank you. And then Luke 19, 41 to 44 says this. And when he, that is Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Sound kind of like Jeremiah? <laughs> Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and summon you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation when God showed up in the flesh, you rejected him, right? And uh, Josephus, a Jewish writer... <laughs> Uh, during the Roman Empire era wrote uh, very descriptively um, about what happened at that destruction of Jerusalem that you know people were eating their children and things they were starving so badly like there's nothing more horrific that you could basically read about than God's judgment on Jerusalem um, and it's horrible and you can see why Jesus was weeping. Um, like Jeremiah, Jesus proclaimed the new covenant. Um, what I want to do is actually read that new covenant. Jeremiah 31. I'll read this to you. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. That should be easy to remember, right? 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. I just want to read to you that promise, and then, and we'll see um, it in Hebrews. Actually, you know what? Sorry. For the sake of time, let's go to Hebrews, because the, the promise is in there. Okay. Let's do Hebrews 8, 6 to 12. See how fast your assistant pastor can find the book of Hebrews. All right, Hebrews... 8, 6 to 12, says this. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, now pause one of the notes is that 
um, some manuscripts say, for finding fault with it, he says to them. And so there's different, not to get all into that, but it's also a possible reading is not that he's finding fault with the people, he's finding fault with those very own promises, anyway, compared to the New Covenant. But it says, for he finds fault with them when he says, and now he's quoting from Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So pause. I'm reading Exodus for that chronological Bible thing, right? And they're out in the wilderness now, and God's telling them to do the Passover, and, and you're gonna, we're going to have Mount Sinai and all of these things, and God's like, if you'll just keep my commandments, then it'll go well with you, and I'll bless you, but if not, then this, this. And again, when we read these things, it's like, oh, this is what God says to them, so this is the same covenant he's making with me, right? No. No. It's not. It's the same law, moral law, he calls you to obey. You still shouldn't commit adultery and stuff, but beware of directly importing God's inter interactions with his people from the old covenant into your life right now, because that is a mistake. And I say that as a covenantal reformed theologian. I'm not ripping on the... But he himself says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. The temple had not yet been destroyed when the writer to the Hebrews wrote this. It's getting ready to pass away. And... and this has been so helpful for my walk with the Lord to make these distinctions and to not directly import the way he interacts with his people under the old covenant into my life this side of the cross. And if you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Please ask me questions because that may sound weird. So how was God, how did, so did people under the old covenant have to be born again to know the Lord? Be careful. They had to have faith. Okay. 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 When Jesus met with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was like, What do you mean, born again or born from above? Like, what? And he goes, Come on, man, you're a teacher in Israel. You don't know this stuff. This is like kindergarten stuff, right? Of course you have to be born again. So I'm not ribbing. Yes, you had to be born again to know the Lord. If you, if you weren't born again, you couldn't know the Lord. However, you had to be regenerated, right? You were either dead in your sins or alive, right? And this is a mystery, by the way, okay? This is very mysterious. I don't fully understand this. But Jesus also, or John says about the Holy Spirit, he says, Jesus said these things about the Holy Spirit um, who is not yet given yet. He was not given yet. Jesus says, the Spirit is with you, but he will be in you, all right? And so though they had the Holy Spirit with them, and though the Spirit came upon people like David and, uh, and even Saul at times and stuff, he was not dwelling in them yet. Do I fully understand that? No. That's why Pentecost is such a big deal. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, I'll speed up. But uh, this is a big deal. I will be in them. They will be my temple. They will want to obey me. It's not just don't walk on the grass and like, ha, you know. It. They want to obey me because he's prophesying Pentecost in light of the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Christ. His atoning work is how the Spirit could dwell in us and not destroy us. Amen? All right. Okay. So, um, and then Luke 22, 19 and 20 says this. 
I want you to see says, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant. I am the one prophesied by Jeremiah. All right? It's here. The old is being done away with. The new has come, and there's so much more freedom of experience for the believer this side of the cross, all right? And then Jesus provided the new covenant. We won't look up all of these things, but his death, I quoted the passage that talks about, it is finished. Hebrews, like I mentioned, once it, if those sacrifices could take away sins, then they wouldn't have any more consciousness of sins, right? Um, and then, you know, this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished, right? His death, his resurrection. What does he say to his disciples when he appears to them in that locked upper room? Peace to you. Isn't that cool? He doesn't go, why'd y'all leave me? Come on. You know? He goes, peace to you. And then uh, Romans 1, 4, his resurrection declared him, by the Spirit declared him to be the Son of God with power at his resurrection. His ascension and session, that's what... He sat down, at, he ascended, then he sat down at the right hand of God till all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. What was the point of that? So he could not only rule and reign, but through Pentecost, I will be with you, right? I will not leave you. I will come to you. Whoever believes in me, my Father and I will make our abode with him. We will dwell with him, in him, abode in him. God wants to live in his people. And that's what happened with Pentecost, all right? And then his final return to judge and recreate. I'll close with this. Revelation 21. This is the, what, the, what the new covenant secures in Christ. Right? Revelation 21, 22 to 27. And, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." You can read tons of other stuff from Revelation. But what's cool, kind of going back, some of the stuff maybe we were talking about, about justice, there's not going to be any bullies in the new heavens and the new earth, you know? I was bullied in seventh grade. I heard recently someone had to switch schools because they were being bullied. God hates bullying. And, uh, and there's not going to be any bullies at the party. Amen? Amen? Let's pray for us. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the new covenant. Help us to believe it and embrace it and revel in it, and share it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.
praying for me. What's that? You can help me by praying for me. Thank you. 